Exceptionally Average, the podcast that shares the real and inspiring stories of normal everyday people. I am, of course, your host, Ashley Mason, and today I have a pretty special one for you. I'd like for you to meet Chloe Malloy. Yes, the AFLW 2018 rising star. Now, I agree at first she might come across as a little above average, but Chloe Malloy to me is just an average girl. I first met Chloe in 2018 when she hobbled into my office shortly after her Liz Frank injury that took her out for the entire 2019 season. As an athlete, it's possibly the worst news you can get. You've hurt yourself and it's going to take a bloody long time to heal. Over the last two years, I've spent just about every week with Chloe and she is honestly one of the most beautiful, down-to-earth, genuine and loyal humans I've met. So I sat down with Chloe to talk about how she went from accepting a college scholarship to play basketball in America to finding herself competing in Australia's highest level of footy. And in this chat, Chloe also opens up about what the injury process is really like, how dark those days can get, and what breaking her foot taught her about herself. Let's get into it. Here's Chloe. Chloe Malloy, welcome. <laughs> Ash Mason, hello. Nice to be here. <laughs> nice to have you here. We've been trying to get this happening for so long. I know, I you're know. I'm sorry, woman. my schedule. But you're in, we're in, and you're Sunday. You're in demand, woman, that's it. <laughs> well, you are in, we are in. We're, we're in, here. we're locked in, we're here. We've had a nice little conversation about breakfast. The room is soundproof, like we are ready. We're good to go. So, Chloe, I obviously am well acquainted with you, but for anyone who has no idea who the hell you are. (laughs) (laughs) Introduce me. Who are you? What do you do? So, I am... I'm 20 years old, going on 21 quite soon. I consider myself an old soul. I enjoy brunch. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I um, So I just actually finished up uni, so can't consider myself a student anymore. I'm a graduate. Um, but I also play footy and a big part of my life is football. Um, I play for Collingwood in the AFRW. So doing that and also just balancing life outside of that with looking for a part-time job now that I'm a graduate. Um yeah, just trying to keep myself busy, pretty young, chilled person. Um, and yeah, I have a decent story and hopefully you can get that out of me today. <laughs> um, I think you are about as close as we can get to famous, but <laughs> still super average. <laughs> um, no, no, I consider myself pretty average. I'm average. Average at best. You're average. Thank you. <laughs> the nicest way possible. <laughs> Thanks. In the non, it's like a backhanded compliment. Like you're average. Yeah, you're, you're pretty average. average. That's yeah. why I'm here. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about. Take us way back. Tell us about little Chloe. What were you like as a kid? Little Chloe. I actually enjoy reflecting back because my parents provided us kids the best opportunity for an awesome childhood. Um, I only have some of the best memories with my brother. So I've got a younger brother, Zach, and an older. Um, half-brother Dylan so there's three years between us all my younger brother and I are really close um I always ask mum about it because I love hearing stories and ask my grandma about it too and she says I was a little bit cheeky um but never naughty she never used the word naughty I was never naughty um very carefree loved the outdoors would actually crack it if mum and dad didn't let me go outside before dinner (laughs) or if they didn't let me outside after dinner just loved sports loved being active um, just, uh, I remember, remember some of the best memories were digging up holes and creating 
you know, bike jumps and then having to put the dirt back in the hole because dad would crack it otherwise. Um, grew up with kids on the block, so on our street, um, all boys, so we'd just play footy. Uh, I remember mum call, like when the lights went up in the street, that's when we'd have to come back in. Mum would call out to us. But probably looking back on my childhood, um, even reflecting now once I'm a bit older and, you know, can, I guess, reflect and have a bit more sense about what's happened because as a kid you're just kind of naive and young and you just go about everything. Um, But my parents provided the best opportunity and in a non-spoilt way um, we never went without – she was tough on us, but she provided us the best opportunity to be the best people we can be. And yeah, I adore my mother um, even more so now once looking back and going, yeah, I really never went without me. You know, it's not all about yeah, what schools you go to, but we went to good schools. Um, you know, we were provided to play sport. Not everyone's lucky enough that their parents are willing to drive everywhere. We lived out in the country. Um, she was willing to help me take my basketball to an elite level because I actually played basketball before footy um, and s- would still do it to today even though I have my licence. <laughs> she's, she's a good egg. My parents what are a very good. Legend. She is. What was your relationship with your mum growing up like? Like I know we've spoken before about how your mum was quite young when she had yeah. you, so you kind of grew up quite close. Tell us about that. Yeah, I think it's a pretty awesome how close my mum and I are. So she's a 73 baby. My maths isn't great, but she's like 47, 48. Um, so she had Dylan young, but she also had me quite young. Um, and just the way it kind of worked out, so I was playing basketball and my young brother played footy, so dad would kind of take him around, mum would take me around. So we spent hours and hours and hours in the car together and um, we just would talk about anything and everything and um, just through that, spending so much time with it, I grew probably closer to her than I did with dad. So, you know, how you either consider yourself a a mummy's girl or a daddy's girl, (laughs) I was 100% um, a mummy's girl. And I just, yeah, she, like I said, she never, I never went without, um, if I needed new shoes, new basketball shoes, you know, she'd get, I remember one time we're in Bendigo, I forgot my basketball shoes in Whittlesey and that's like an hour and a half. And she actually, before we started the, the basketball camp in Bendigo, she left the stadium went 15 minutes around the corner, got me basketball shoes. I hated them, but the <laughs> fact that she even did that for me. Um, so, she, she, I message her all the time just sporadically saying, you know, I love you um, just because I feel like I, I don't appreciate her um, as much as I should have or should of or, or should, whatever, however you want to put it. Um, especially moving out of home. She was shattered. <laughs> she's only got my younger brother at home now. Um, and she's, you know, I complain that she's annoying, but, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way because I know that she just misses me. And when I do go home, she, you know, I'm treated like a queen because um, she just misses me so much. And I'm our only daughter, so um, we just grew close through, you know, being the only females in the Malloy family and then through sports. So, yeah, I have a lot to thank for my mother and what so she's beautiful. provided me. Yeah, she's a good egg. <laughs> when did sport first come into your life? Because you've got a semi-famous footballer somewhere in the family, don't yes, you? Like, I don't know football, but I know the Malloy <laughs> name is like It's, it's big. connected to Collingwood, yeah. yeah. I had my pop played for Fitzroy. He was quite good. Um, and my dad's brother, so my uncle Jared, played at Fitzroy and then they turned to Brisbane and then he in 01 – in the 2000 and 2001, he played at Collingwood, so he's semi-famous. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
also was growing up like was sport, sport always around like was that always I know you said you were always kicking footy out yeah. in, in the street was that, that just like a natural part of your life yeah well my mum actually was a very good netballer she played state level uh, and I always joke around with mum and dad because dad was quite a good footballer too uh, he injured his ankle but I said it's because they both decided to have kids and I was like <laughs> suckers like you, know, you had kids instead of going pursuing your sport um, so I think naturally Mum and dad were quite sporty, so her kids were just bound to be. So we'd always watch – sport was always on the TV, not that I ever watched TV. Um, We were always encouraged to go outside. And I think from a young age we just – mum, you know, know, we can be consumed in phones and Game Boys. It wasn't so prevalent back then, um, but we were always outside. Like I said, all my memories are me cracking it because I wasn't allowed outside. Um, so I'd always play ball games, like down ball. Um, we'd always be coming up with something, my younger brother and I, to play. Um, we were just outside doing whatever, playing mm. with a stick. Um, then we were older, we used to play cricket on the street. We'd play football. It was literally whatever season it was, if it was cricket season, footy season, soccer season, um, you name it, like we would just play outside and we'd play that sport. So, yeah, it's always been a big part of me and how I identify who I am being a, a sports person. Did you start in basketball or football? I actually started with footy, uh, playing Auskick, but I also played – so I actually played cricket. I, I, I would try everything. Any any ball sport, I was just <laughs> like, I just want to do it. I was like, for the whole year, like my poor mother never got a break because I was like, I want to play cricket now. I want to play uh, basketball. I want to do this, this, and this. And um, with netball, I – it's a funny story actually um, – Mum wanted me to play netball because she was a netball. She's like, you know, I just want to play with my daughter one time. But I was like, I am not wearing a skirt, Mum, <laughs> which is hence why I played basketball because she can wear shorts. But I did end up playing netball um, in shorts, thank gosh. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I actually played Auskick well, was in the program Auskick because the, the boys I grew up were in as well. So I was just like we all naturally, you know, you get to six and you can sign up to Auskick. So, I didn't think any different of doing it even as a girl. So I actually played footy first, um, played through juniors, through 10s, 11s, 12s and 14s. And I think it was around the 14s is when um, I had to stop. But I was, like I said, carefree. I just wanted to play sport. Like I didn't really care. What it was, of course, I cared that I wasn't being able to play with um, my friends, but I went and started basketball instead. Is that because at that time there was no league for women's after a certain age well we were all so we uh we'll see where i grew up is considered country and um i guess you could say we we're kind of isolated in that we had no idea that there wasn't um that there was sorry um a league for like youth girls they call it youth girls i had no idea we just i guess mum was just like oh well like you can't play football. We didn't really make a big deal out of it. It was just like, let's just go try something else. So we didn't know. there. I think there was, it was around, but it was only, there was only maybe a couple like of um, girls teams around back then. So I was just like, I'll just go, I'll just go play basketball instead. When did anyone first notice that you had a little bit of talent in either sport? Um, well, from footy, I like all the boys used to muck around um, and I guess the funny joke was, you know, oh, the girl's better than you. And um, a couple of opposition players would go, oh, like they would say to each other, you're getting beat by a girl. Um, and I don't know why I remember this, but we were in the huddle one time. I was so young and I remember the coach saying, um, take a leaf out of her book. So I knew I was okay at footy, but like I didn't even consider myself 
I was just a, a good player. Like I didn't, I was, wasn't a good female or a good um, male player. I was just a good footballer. At that um, time you were really just in it to play, not I because just you were like aiming for, I mean, there was no AFL at that point for you. Mm. So it was just, you were just, just there to play. have fun. Yeah. I just wanted to play with my mates. Uh, I think I came fourth best and fairest um, in 12s or 13s, won flags. Um, the boy, one of them still now, um, still he, he used to send me, this was before AFLW, he would send me like, it was trials for women's teams and he would send them to me, but I was invested in my basketball at the time. So I didn't do it, but he'd always like jokingly send them to me in hope that I would go do it. Um, but I, like I said, I was invested in my basketball. Um, so I was naturally good at football, which I think just came from a sporting background with my parents. Um, and I was coordinated and could bounce and dribble a ball and run at the same time. So um, was quite good at basketball <laughs> as well. And I'm just someone, I guess, who if, I'm playing something, I just invest myself into it and I'm a little bit competitive. So um, <laughs> that comes with it in, in just trying to be the best. So tell us with basketball, how old were you when you started? I started probably when I was 14. Where did I start? Let's throw it back. I started at Diamond Valley um, as a bottom major. So they call it top age and bottom age because um, there's 16, 18s and 20s. So I was bottom age, 16s. Uh, Which is was, quite late, really. Yeah, but it is actually yeah. pretty late because everyone who was in there, so there's like first, seconds, thirds, fourths. Yeah. Um, I was selected in the first side as a bottom major, which doesn't really happen. No. Um, and I'd only just come into basketball. Uh, so I played at started at Diamond Valley, um, was in the first side, didn't get much court time, um, just being a lot younger and I guess smaller and shorter and skinnier, um, but progressed with Diamond Valley like I said, I, once I invest myself, I just want to be, you know, the best I can at it. So I went through Diamond Valley, ended up at um, Altham, um, and this is rep basketball. So this is Friday nights. This is statewide, not just local competition. Um, played at Altham and then, yeah, wanted to start taking it pretty seriously and there's national programs that you can be selected for. So I was selected in those because um, it was talent identified in me. So progressed through the ranks there. Um, there's state teams that you can play in. So I represented Victoria country three, four times, um, and then was selected in the 20 side. So this is progressing through as I get older, going through all the national leagues that you can be a part of. When did you notice that like, shit, I'm kind of good at this. Um, I've never really thought stopped and probably reflected, um, like, oh, I'm good at this. I'm just not kind of the person to. I hate talking about myself in terms of like <laughs> achievements and accomplishments and all that. Um, I, don't, I actually can't put a date or time or uh, moment on when I thought I was good at it because I just, I don't, know, I don't think of myself in that way. Is it just that you wanted to be the best that you could be so you just kind of kept going with the next logical progression each yeah. time? Yeah, and it was just the steps that you take because my goal with basketball, um, as I got older, obviously I wanted to get something out of it and I, um, found out that you could play college from it. So I just progressed through the ranks, um, kept getting selected for sides, um, and just kept going through. I was invited to an Australian camp, um, played as a development player in the WNBL and through injuries actually managed to get court time, um, 
yeah, so just kept progressing through and at 20s was when college was probably a big thing because it's at that age when you either choose to go or not to go or you get offered a scholarship or you don't get offered a scholarship. But, yeah, I just progressed through until I got to that goal of college. And you got there. I did get there. We, I, I, we got there. My mum and I definitely <laughs> got there. So it's Team a effort. joint goal. Tell us about that. Like tell us about that moment when you – Got accepted because you got you did get accepted, right? Yeah, so it's a pretty big process, and like just looking back on it now, um, I probably don't realise to the extent of how you know amazing it is to be even offered a Division One college scholarship. So, what was the process? So it's through. So you actually get a manager, um, and they send out highlight videos, and college scouts come and watch the nationals, so the under twenties that I was a part of with Victoria, and then from there, pretty much. Um, it's quite funny how it works and your manager, they contact your manager cause on the, on the, it sounds dorky as on the YouTube videos, it has, um, contact us if you're interested in Chloe. And so they contact him and then he has a list, he sends a list to me, um, and he, you know, recommends what colleges would suit me. Um, and he, you actually have to touch base with them all. Um, well, not all of them, the ones you're interested in. Um, so I did that. So that was a, that was a long process. Did you go over and meet any of them? Yeah. So it does get to that point. So first of all, it's just initial contact. This is who's shown interest in you. And he kind of gives you a background about all of them and I select, um, which ones. And I could select three that I could go have a 24 hour, um, visit. Which three did you choose? Um, one was Virginia. They were in the NCAA. One was um, Virginia VCU, Virginia VCU, Virginia, Com- oh, Virginia Commonwealth University. So Virginia, Virginia Commonwealth University. And then there was, begins with H, I can't remember the name of it. Far out, it slipped my mind. But they were in New York, so it was yep. um, in that part of America. Mm. And it's real strict. It's like you can actually only be on campus for 24 hours. Just the NCAA rules. It's just it's pretty whack and full mm. on. So I chose those three. Um, what was that experience like going over there and, like, meeting all these people and, like, all, having all these people really interested and really vouching for you and wanting you to come and play for them? Uh, quite weird because I, like I said, I just thought of myself as, you know, funny that I say this, but like an average basketballer. Um, so when they wanted me, I was like, oh, yeah, like, this is kind of cool. Like I said, I'm pretty, like, chilled, laid back kind of person. I was like, oh, yeah, like, this is cool. You know, they want me, um, let's just see what best fit for me. But it's weird having, you know, that they'd pay for everything. I felt guilty as because we'd go for dinner and they'd be like, no, we'll pay, we pay. And I was like, well, you know, like more than happy to pay for it. Um, but they treat you like gold over there because they're trying to impress um, and get you to their college. But it was amazing meeting them all and um, I'll, I'll probably talk about it a bit later, um, just qu- how quickly you form a relationship with with good people Um one of them, when I actually, because I ultimately have decided to play football, um, so I had to make a call um, that I didn't want to go to college anymore. One of the colleges didn't really take it well, um, but the other two were really good in that. But it was an amazing experience and, you know, a lot of people would give their right arm to do it. Um, so I'm pretty blessed that I was able to go over there with my mum, have the flights all paid for 
and spend three days in America touring colleges that have um, insane facilities. Like one of the places, the way to get into the gym was through a thumbprint. And I was like, I'm like this Aussie <laughs> country kid. And they're like, yeah, you just put your thumb on it. And I was like, mind blown. Um, so yeah, it was just an, like, it was amazing going over there. And to even say that I've been over to three colleges and experienced just a small tour. Cause how old were you at that stage? 17? 18? 17. Yeah. Cause I'm a December yeah. baby. So I was only 17. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, what an amazing experience for oh. It was so cool. It was yeah. amazing. Very, Which one did cool. you end up choosing? So you actually, so the, the next process is you go visit the, the three and then you come back and all within like a week. So you read touch base with your manager um, and then within a week you have to say yes to one. And I'm like, oh, like I hate, I, I hate making people feel bad. <laughs> and like I just don't like confrontation <laughs> and I had to say no to two that, had treated me so well. Like I, I felt, I was like, I don't want to I do it. I can see like, you struggling with that. Yeah. I was like, I don't want to. Like, I have That's to what sc- I pay you for. <laughs> I was like, kind of just send a message and he was like, no, you have to Skype. Like they want to Skype you. Oh, wow. That's confronting. Yeah, it is. Very, and I was young and I'm like, I don't want to do this. I was like, <laughs> put it off, put it off. I was like, mom, can you sit with me? Like just sit there. Um, it's pretty confronting, but I think I've pretty much, I think I've grown from that, even just having to do that, make that such a big decision um, in that, like, you know, um, narrow that down, that decision in saying no to two massive colleges. And then to sit in front of them and, and have to say it to their no. faces. Yeah. Like, I was like, I don't want to see them. Like, can't I just send a voice <laughs> recording? Um, so I said no to Virginia. That was kind of cut. They were a division one. Um, and I would have, so it's a four year scholarship that they all offered me. Um, they told me that, you know, we want you here, but you probably wouldn't get court time for the first two years and they were honest with me. So I said, you know, no, I'm sorry. I just want to go somewhere that I can play play straight away. Cause Mm. with coming 24 hour flight, I was like, I just want to play. And they're like, yep, no worries. Like we totally understand. I said, thank you for the opportunity. They took that. That was probably the easiest one. Um, but the other one I wish, and I've probably forgotten the name of it because just the way how the process of me saying no went down that I've just kind of wiped it because I was like, I can't even believe it. Um, so I got them and when I said no, they like were – I was 17. Like it's not easy for me to say no. And it just their, their reaction was like – they were shocked um, and disappointed and I felt – I feel horrible. Like I take that stuff to heart. Like I don't want to make anyone feel bad. And then I had to say no to them and then they made me feel – like they belittled me in that, like, how dare you say, no, we've taken you over here. Not those exact words, but that that's how I ended up feeling. And it was the most awkward Skype session ever. Um, and just yet yeah, it still doesn't sit well with me. And like, I can't even, I've just erased it. Like I don't even know what, I can't even remember what the university <laughs> was called. Um, but just made me feel so bad. And the actual one I chose was VCU and they are beautiful people. So chose them I'd actually signed so this is skipping ahead I chose them um signed with them uh they almost announced it but the I think it was I literally it was like a week after I'd signed the official papers and the official contract that I was like I had to do another awkward phone call and Skype say you know I want to play football how did that come about well so I'd signed and then I at the time I was actually seeing someone who was in the AFRW and playing footy. So, um, 
I guess once you're out of something, you kind of just, you're out of it and it's kind of just a chapter that's happened and I kind of closed the book on footy. But then I, it was reopened once I was seeing this person, I'd go watch games and I'd be like, oh, like, I was like, I could do this. Like I could play football. And I was like, remember, and I just would sit and be like, I wish, I just want to be out there. And then it sad upon me. I was like, oh, I don't really want to go to America. I was like, I want to play footy. And then the AFLW was established and I was like, wow, like I could actually play AFLW. Like I actually think I'm good enough to do that. Um, so I had all these thoughts and I was talking to my partner at the time and she thought I was crazy. She's like, go to college. And I was like, no, I want to play footy. Like I love footy. So that was your first love, right? Like you started footy. was footy. my first thing. And um, mum knew that, but she was a devil's advocate. So when I had to tell her, she was, because obviously like the goal of going to college was a joint goal for mum and I. Um, just because of all the time. I mean, she wasn't actually playing basketball, but she was doing all that travel, buying shoes, yeah, making I mean, sure I had everything. Any parent, if you've spent the last, you know, several years trying to get to where one I goal and you finally get there, you sign the papers. And she's, she was she's like, all, like, she's come to terms with the fact that her daughter's leaving the country. Yep. Like, yep. <laughs> tell us about how you told her because I think that's quite a um, funny story. I, Worth noting, speaking of, doesn't like confrontation. I know. Actually... <laughs> I um I don't like it and I didn't know how to tell mum because not that she was going to be disappointed in me, but I knew it was going to be hard because um, I'm not a selfish person. I knew how much she put into it as well. Um, I actually had to write it on a letter, like write it all down. And then I slipped it under her door and ran for my life and like <laughs> shut my door and my room's at one end of the house, her room's at the other and I could hear the footsteps. I'm like, I was in my room. I was like, oh my God, oh my God. Come what in. was on the letter? It was just like, mum, I don't want to play college anymore. Um, I want to play football. That was pretty much just the cracks of it. And I was like, please don't be disappointed. Like, And at this point you're not even like, you haven't even tried out for football. No, like it's just. <laughs> I didn't even know if I was good enough. Who knew? You like, had to play football in years, no, right? Like, <laughs> no. And I was just like, I want to give it up. I want to play footy. So like, of course I can see how mum was like, uh, Chloe, like, no, it's not happening. But she, like we butted heads because um, we're both pretty strong-minded people. Um and I was like, once I'm set in something, I want to play footy. So, like, there was no way that she was stopping me. Um, and then it, so we, we argued. She was just challenging me. And um, it's probably a good thing that she challenged me because it just made me realise, yeah, this is actually what I want to do. Um, so, like, it's a blessing that she challenged me because I it proved to her that I was so strong-minded about playing football that she goes, okay, actually, you know, I want my daughter to be happy. And she's told me that. Playing football makes her happy. Um, so, like, we we fought. We really did fight because she couldn't believe I was giving up four free years of college. Um, but I remember one thing she did say when she came to terms with it was she's like, well, at least you're home still. And I said, yes, exactly. Now I see the positive <laughs> side of things. Um, but, yeah, she, she's come around to it and I've actually turned out to be half decent at footy shows. She goes, <laughs> lucky it worked out. And I was like, yeah, lucky. But I gave up a, I gave up a sure thing for a gamble and, you know, it could have gone either way. I'm just – Did you have a backup plan if you didn't get into footy? No, nah, I had no backup plan. I actually the, – the, there's more to it actually going to college because you have to – there's certain um, – prerequisites that you have to have to go to college. So you have to do like social science, English for this long, math for that long. Um, so I even sacrificed um, electives that I want to do in year 12 just to make me eligible for college. So I didn't really do 
any subjects that I enjoyed as much. I think I did one. Um, it was media and comms, and that was just one I enjoyed, but it was one. Like year 12 was meant to be set you up for what you want to do, which ultimately it was setting me up. But then I changed my mind, but I couldn't go back and repeat year 12. So I didn't have a backup plan. Um, and that's what mum mum was like, okay, but, you know, what are you going to do? So I actually looked into studies and um, I admitted I didn't get the greatest ATAR score because I wasn't doing subjects I enjoyed. I was doing them just because I had to do them. Um, so I was looking up um, courses that I could do and I actually found a Bachelor of Sports Media, which was at a TAFE. Um, but it was a uni course. So I ended up, I said to mum, okay, I'll stay here. I'll play, I'll try play footy and I'll also do this. And obviously she just wanted me to be the best version of myself. So she said, okay, I'm, I'm fine with you doing that then. So I didn't have a backup plan. Mum forced me to have one, but I, it's all worked out. How much later did you end up getting drafted into AFLW? What was that experience like? Uh, it was awesome in, in one word. Awesome. Um, but I, so I actually messaged my team manager from back when I was super young saying, I want to play footy again. And I still have the screenshot of it. Um, it's just like, hi, Pauline. Um, I really want to play football again. And I think her response was somewhat like, I was waiting for this message. <laughs> um, and she's like, hooked me up with someone at Colder Cannon. So it was actually really good timing because I was 19. So I was almost ineligible to play for cold cannons because it was an under 18 side. Um, but because I hadn't played footy before, I actually could count as a top ager, um, being as old, like my, the age that I was. So I played cold cannons first. Um, I'd missed all the preseason. I'd just come in, um, when they were just getting into games and selecting the side. So it came in pretty late, but impressed enough to be selected. So I actually played Cold Cannons first. And then from there, you have to um, play VFLW. Or you don't have to, but that's the next step. So I played at Diamond Creek. Uh, and then, so I don't be playing footy for, oh, I, will, I played under 18s with TAC in the, in, with Cold Cannons and Diamond Creek. Didn't play Victoria because I was too old. And it was that after the season at Diamond Creek that um, the draft happened and I was picked up by Collingwood. Um, I was invited to the combine, which I actually didn't participate in because I'd sprained my AC joint. Um, but I had a good enough season at Diamond Creek that um, enough clubs were interested in me. And then Collingwood ended up taking me with their first pick, which was pretty cool because it was nice. On that day, it was kind of like a sense of relief that – okay, like we actually did it like that thing, that thing, sorry, the, the scholarship that I'd given up, it was all worth it because it, it's planned out and I can, you know, go to mum and be like, mum, I'm drafted. Like I'm in the AFLW. <laughs> I told, I you, told so. you so. <laughs> I told you it was going to work out. Not that I knew that it was going to work out or that I could even play footy, but um, like I said, I just invest myself. I want to be the best at things I could be and I played when I was younger so I did have ball skills and I was coordinated enough to catch a footy um so yeah it ended up working out and I know you said like you just said you didn't know it was going to work out I know in one sense you didn't but I also think it's quite fascinating that how heavily you backed yourself in like to to a degree you did know it was going to work out like that was kind of like you didn't have another choice it's like well I'm going to make this squad. Yeah. Like. And that's, that's the, that's the mindset I put myself in. Um, like I knew I was going to play footy. I was like, no, nah, I know. Like even watching games, watching my partner play, I was like, I know I can play footy. Like 
I just am the kind of person that, you know, challenge me and I'll, I'll respond well to it. Um, but like, I couldn't tell mum, like, no mum, like, I know, I know, I know I'm going to be good at it. I promise you I'll be drafted because, well, she's like, well, you have no idea. I said, but like, I can't be like, no, no. Like, I promise you, because it was just the inevitable. You just don't know. But it sounds weird, but I knew I was going to be okay. It was just trying to convince others that something was going to happen in the future that I couldn't even really control. But I was like, just, just back me and like, trust me, it's going to happen. Have you always been that self-assured with other things? Yeah. In a, I think like it comes just back to what, um, how mum brought us up. Um, like I am pretty grateful in terms that I don't have, um, I don't know how to put this in a non-negative way. Like I don't have body issues, um, you know, I, can't, I love who I am. Um, like, I don't – yeah, I'm so confident in the person that I am and I think that's just stems down from my parents in how they brought me up, you know, I guess positive reinforcement. Um, like, I can't even remember what they used to tell me or any anything like that, but they just made me such a confident little person, little being that, yeah, it's just carried on to, into my adulthood. Um, yeah, I like, I back myself to do anything. Um, sounds bizarre, you know, it actually has come across as arrogant sometimes, but um, it, it, I actually feel really, I guess, crap when it's called arrogance. Um, makes me feel really bad because I'm like, no, it's not arrogance. I just have so much confidence in who I am and my abilities that, yeah, like I, I think I could conquer the world, which I'm sure I can't, but I have that confidence in me. So, yeah, it sets me up pretty well. And that you know you could do anything you put your mind to. Yeah, and I think that's just a case of I know that even if I do fail at something that I think I could do, that I do have that support net behind me in, in mum and dad, um, which probably even gives me more confidence in thinking that, you know, I can take on the world because, you know what, if I don't, it's fine because mum and dad are going to be there and they'll love me no matter what. That's really nice. I like that. Thank you. They are nice people. <laughs> Jeez, good old mum's getting a good shout out. At she this is. I, I, the more, like, the more I, um, the more I go through life and just, you know, start becoming an adult myself and thinking about my future. And I guess it sounds bizarre. Like I'm an old soul. Like I'm like, Oh, you know, I want to be a really good mum. Like I'm 20 years old. I'm talking about, I want to be a good mum, but yeah, I just, she was just like a little, she's just a superhero. Like she raised three gorgeous kids and I'm just like, yeah, if I could be half the woman that she is, I think I'd have a pretty good life. So yeah, it sounds bizarre me being 20, but yeah, I just want to be as good as a person as mum was because she's a good role model for me. And I think that's one of the, I mean, I know you said that some people call it arrogance, but I think it would only come from people that are jealous or intimidated that would call it arrogance because I find it so, I mean, that's half the reason I wanted to interview for this podcast because you are such an inspiring young human being and like you are young you are so young like I literally had this conversation with a partner yesterday because I was like oh like Chloe's 21st is coming up and we're in the supermarket aisle with like this random checkout chick doing her groceries and he's like holy shit is she 20 <laughs> like he, I've known you for this long and he like had no idea and that how old I was yeah and the, the poor checkout chick's like oh is this one of your friends I'm like yeah she's 20 <laughs> Yeah. So you are like you are so young, and I I find it so inspiring. Is not even the right word. Like I just love how 
self-assured you are and how confident you are in yourself and it makes me want to be a more confident person so I can guarantee there's a lot of little girls looking up to you which we're going to touch on shortly that that see you and will listen to this or will see you on tv or running around kicking a footy saying you do your thing and you're just being confident and backing yourself in with everything that you do is pretty cool good I'm glad I wish I wish everyone had that self-assurance and you know when people call me arrogant I do get really offended because I'm like you know I'm not I'm not a social climber I'm not trying to step on anyone's back to to be good and if anything it could come across as on the footy field um you know I'm trying to make someone better so it could come across like, you know, oh, I'm going to beat you this time. But I, I just say that in hope that, you know, it fires them up. And I'm like, you know, beat me. Like, let's compete. Like, I'm a competitive bull. Like, I just want to be good at everything I do. But I also want to help others be good as well and be self-assured. And I remember um, when I was with my ex-partner, um, you know, all I wanted to do was make sure that she – was confident in herself too because I actually feel so bad. Well, not bad. I just – I don't even know how to put it. I just wish everyone loved themselves. Love themselves sounds so arrogant as well, but, like, I just wish everyone had this self-assurance because, you know, I am about empowering people um, and it's through my story and I'm not trying to tell my story to, you know, put me on this pedestal. Um, just, you know, we, we are so capable of so much – um, and I just wish my mum and dad were the parents of everyone's because, you know, I, they're, they're good people. And, um, yeah, I just I wish people loved themselves as much as I am self-assured and love who I am. No, that's good. I I agree. I'm trying to say it in like the non-arrogant way. It's not an – like I know it always comes across as arrogant for people, but like <clears throat> it's not. Like it's – like – I think if more people love themselves, we'd, I mean, in a not narcissistic way, if more people love themselves, we'd have a lot less problems in the world. Like I think a lot of problems, people's problems and conflict comes from the fact that deep down you don't trust yourself or you don't love yourself or you're not happy with who you are and you see someone else. I mean, that's where tall poppy syndrome comes from, right? Like it's because it triggers our deepest, darkest feelings about what we know to be true or think to be true about our ourselves so I think having a little bit of self-assurance and self-confidence and that's like seems quite intrinsic for you too like you know like you put the hard work in that you'll get the reward for it yeah like you you get out what you put in and like it doesn't matter who you are like or in you know in my sense I can relate to football but just in whatever if you put in the hard work and you are confident in what you're doing that you know fate just will play its part um, and that's what it did for me. I put all my hard work and invested everything into footy that it just worked out for me because I'd invested so much into it. So, yeah, it doesn't matter what you look like, who you are, or if you're average, if you're not, not average, like you can – it sounds so cliche, but it's cliche for a reason. You can honestly do anything you want. So you obviously made it into the AFLW. Yes. What was that experience like going from just an average sort of 17, 18-year-old kid to seeing your face on billboards? Um, I still find it quite bizarre. Uh, I get quite embarrassed um, about it because, you know, I'm not I'm not playing football to be put on the billboards. Um, I mean, it's quite humbling to know that, you know, um, sponsors and that want to use my face 
as an ambassador, um, but I'm not really about the glitz and glam of it all. Um, you know, I just love playing footy. I couldn't care less if my billboard was on a bus or on, on the side of a telephone box. Um, I just want to be playing good footy that just, I guess, comes with the role that I have in being um, someone that those little girls and boys can look up to. But uh, it doesn't really phase me. Um like I'm not, I don't know, I come from the country. Like I don't really care. <laughs> it's like, not all about that. So I just more love playing footy. And you had a killer first year. Yeah, I don't like talking about myself. But well, I'm gonna make you. So. <laughs> you are. It's like drawing blood from a stone. Um, yeah, I did, and I think that just came because I was happy. Um, your name like rising. What was? What were you doing? There's an award that um, someone under 21 can win and it's called the Rising Star and um, you get nominated. There's nominations each round Um, and there was a lot of deserving talent um, but I was fortunate enough to have my one engraved on the medal um, which was pretty cool but um, I think the season that I had just came from the confidence that I had built in myself. Um, I put the hard work in. I was happy and, you know, our best work is done when we are happy and enjoying something that we're doing, which I started not – that started not happening with basketball. I wasn't enjoying it as much. I think mum could see that, which is why she thought college might be really good because it's in something new and it's in a new country, Um, but I ultimately chose footy. But I think that that season just came from – ultimately my confidence and, and happiness and it was just a formula for um, individual success um, but I'm hoping that um, you know I can rub off on others and that I, I'm not really about individual success because it's football and it's not a t- it's a team sport it's not an individual sport if I want all the medals and that I, I should go play singles tennis so um, which yeah. I'm sure you'd nail just <laughs> I can't serve I can't serve the ball um, but yeah that 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 first season um I just had so much fun so much fun and it's just um though you know it's it's awesome to be able to have those accolades next to my name um but the ultimate goal is to have you know a team accolade in which is a premiership for football so uh, I would much rather that than all the awards I have. Stop deflecting. Oh, I'm still like, I'm still <laughs> very, still. <laughs> I'm grateful for them all. And it's just, I mean, it's something that I can show to mum and be yeah. like, I told you so. So that's, if anything, I'm happy that I've, I, um, you know, was able to, to get those because it's something that I can physically go to mum and be like, told you so. <laughs> so you put your, your, well, your dream at the time on hold, you gambled it. Yeah. For the shot at the AFL, you get in, first draft pick, killer first season, rising star of the year, and then you hurt yourself. Yeah, my world came crashing down um, pretty quickly, actually, because it happened uh, in a split moment, actually happened playing football. Um, so playing VFLW in the off-season, was having quite a good season. Um, you know, I really wanted to develop from it. And then in the finals, I tore my Liz Frank ligament um, and broke three metatarsals and it just all happened like instantly. And um, I've never, I've never, that was my, this is my first, well, was, sorry, not this because I've recovered from it. Um, that was my first serious injury that yeah it took its toll on me um I was not 19 19 at the time yeah um 
and it was they call it the ACL of the foot, um, and it's probably an injury that has the worst rehab process. Um, and like I said, that really took its toll on me. And you know, went from being on cloud nine, having this killer individual season, and then I was like, hell yeah! And like next season, you know, flag pies like cool, I've won all these, but this season I just feel like this team, we're going to bond. Um, I've had, I've got a year experience under me. Um, I'm more sure about this decision. Um, it's everything working out. Yeah. And then at the drop of a hat, it was like the world goes, you know, here's a hurdle it's taken for away. you. Yeah. yeah. And it was a massive hurdle to get over. So thanks life for throwing that one at me. <laughs> <laughs> what were those sort of first few weeks and months like for you after you hurt yourself when you sort of did come to that realization of how serious the injury was and what the rehab process was going to look like? So depressing. So, so depressing. Um, so I had scans on my foot. Um, I actually, they couldn't scan it for a, five days because it was that swollen. Um, so even the process of just trying to get to a scan just to get a diagnosis was um, proved to be difficult, but had the scan on it. And then um, at the time I was um, dating uh, my partner, Steph. So she was in the team also. Um, and they took us both into the medical room and straight away I was like, this is weird. Like, why are you bringing Steph in with it? Like, so I knew from an instance that the chat that I was about to have because after the scans it gets sent to the doctor and they brought me into the room and then I can literally picture it in my head. There was, you know, the doc was sitting there, Paul Campbell, who was well-being and head coach Wayne, Steph was on my left and I was sitting on the chair and I reckon I heard maybe five seconds of the conversation and the five seconds involved you're going to miss the 2020 season um, and I just shut off. I was like... I, d- I couldn't even hear up. I didn't even listen. Like I was just staring into blank space and um, started crying and Steph was crying also. And then like, it was just from there, it was just a blur. And we, we walked out and I said to Steph, I said, what, what did they just say to me? I was like, what, what happened then? And she was like, you know, this has happened. This is how long it's going to take. This is the recovery. And like, I had to hear from her. Cause I was like, I just heard I'm, I'll miss the season. And oh, I can't even remember what was said just that I was going to miss it and I had to get Steph to um, debrief on what had been said because I was just crying and just in denial about it all. Um, Kind of feels like a dream now that it happened, but it happened, unfortunately. Um, So then after that, um, it didn't sink in for ages that I was going to miss the season. I was like, no, like I'll get back. I'll get back. I'll be fine. I'll get back. I was dumb to think, like naive to think that because it was just such a serious injury. Um, and we were just starting pre-season. So I had to sit on the sidelines and it was hot and I had to have a moon boot on and it got itchy. Um, they all did pre-season outside. I had to stay inside. Um, it's such an isolating thing being injured as an athlete because um, pretty much for sport you're, you're – you know, you're broken goods in a way. Um, but Collingwood were really good to me, um, kept me sane. Um, they actually opened up an opportunity for me to develop in an opposition analysis position, which was great for me because it actually, you know, they, they still paid my contract, but I was still working to get that, um, earn what I was going to earn as a player, but in a coaching sense. But watching from the sideline during preseason and I couldn't do anything. I was on the couch for ages um, because so I wasn't able to walk on it um, for months. Um, 
So <clears throat> had the surgery on the 25th of September, injured on the 16th. So that took that long to have surgery. Whilst my foot was this massive balloon and my calf had started um, just fading away. So I had 13 screws and three plates. And one of those screws was like the size of someone's middle finger. It was real, really long. Um, and I couldn't walk on it for months. Um, <clears throat> and then I went into crutches, crutches, moon boot, crutches. Oh, it was just agonizing. It's a, it's a really tough process for anyone that doesn't know because yeah, you, you have the surgery, you're completely non weight bearing for a really long time. And just when you finally start getting good again, you've got to go back and have the metal taken yeah. out and you're back in a boot. So like, it's a, it's a really long shitty rehab process. And I, caught you somewhere along that line when you were, you know, it's still pretty damaged but hopeful. Um, and I think I've seen footage of the the first few steps that you took when you first were allowed to, to weight bear out of the boot and I got emotional watching it. Like you just, like, you took a couple of steps and you just broke down crying and... Yeah, well, I went from thinking... Cause I had to sit on the couch for ages cause I couldn't, I couldn't get up and weight bear and it's my right foot. So I couldn't even drive. I had to rely on people to get me to places. I relied on Steph a lot because, um, I couldn't get anywhere. Um, I was living Bayside with her and my family were up North. Um, so they couldn't, I didn't even have that support of them. My friends in North, like everyone who was close to me was in the Northern suburbs. Um, you know, like although my, my life in in a way was on pause because I was injured. You know, they still, their life was still going on. They still had to get up and go to work. So they couldn't come down and see me. Um, although they did, did when they could. Um, but yeah, I relied on Steph a lot and there was days where I, well, you know, some of the hardest things I had to do was get a glass of water. And there was one time where <coughs> I wanted to, I was hungry. So I wanted to get up and get food and, you know, plate and glass, you'd just grab that off the bench, you'd go sit down. And I couldn't, so I had to do two trips. And I think I left something up there and I was just like, oh, like every swear word under the sun. I was just so angry that I'd left something on the bench because it meant that I had to get up and it was more effort for me. And to open the fridge was an effort because the crutch would get in the way. To shower was so hard because I couldn't get the car sweat. So the leg had to be out. I had to sit, I had to try not to get the car. It was just such a long, agonizing process for someone also so young. Like, oh, it, yeah, no, it doesn't bring back good memories. Were you angry at the time? I was so angry, so, so angry. And um, it actually probably changed the person I was um, because I wasn't happy. Um, Like I said, I was really really depressed and it took me a while to reach out to a psychologist to to go see someone because I didn't not that I felt I felt silly going seeing someone because I was like you know people go through this I'll be fine it's just a part of life but I probably should have reached out a little bit earlier but that's just you know um sometimes your biggest strength me being just chill and they like relaxed about things is also your biggest flaw um in my case it was a flaw because I should have gone and see someone earlier well it's like a complete identity crisis right like your identity your whole life was sport like that's who you were you were the sporty one you were in everything you always had a ball in your hand and suddenly you can't do the one thing that you've always identified 
with and as and you're couch bound and you don't have a support network around you because everyone's like geographically just a long way away that must be rough yeah it was really rough and um I just would sit on the couch and Steph would get home and um or she'd mess him she'd say I'm just going to the supermarket and I remember one time I was like please take me I was like take me to the supermarket like just take me out somewhere and I mean mum was always a phone call away and so were my friends but it just wasn't the same you just want that physical comfort from your friends and family just to say you know um it's going to be okay I actually like I used to get angry when people um were like you know um, it's going to be okay. Cause I was like, it's not okay right now. Like I would get so worked up. I was like, it is so not okay. I was like, you don't know what I'm going through. Like I, I had thoughts where I was like, I'm never going to walk again. I'm never going to run properly again. Uh, I went, like, gosh, I can't walk and run, let alone try kick a footy. Um, I was like, I will never be the footballer that I was. I was like, I had what I was like, selfish life like I had one season to play footy and now you know I'll never be never ever be that person again and so much self-doubt and yeah and then the rehab side so I was so over it and um yeah it was just an angry few months and it started to you know rub off in in my relationship with my friends um I still had to go to the football club I had to see them all run around I had to put on a face and you know I was in the part of the leadership group so you know I had to be there for my teammates um and they'd ask how you were going but you were kind of like you know well I'm not going to get into this deep dark story I'm just gonna be like yeah I'm okay like you just put this face on you go yeah I'm okay when really deep down like all you want to do is cry and I started a tally of my breakdowns and then it got to like 20 something. I was like, nah, I'm not even going to do it because that's just depressing. Um, yeah, it was the whole situation being so young, family not there. It kind of just all snowballed up into this to make this angry version of Chloe that couldn't play sport. I didn't have an outlet because sport was my outlet. Um, like I said, I identified myself with sport um, and now I, you know, who was I? I couldn't, I was useless. I was useless to sport. I was broken goods to Collingwood. Um, so that's when I actually had to flip and, and this was after I'd started seeing someone. Um, they were like, you know, well, what else are you? Like, you know, focus your energy into other aspects of your life. And um, that's when uni came up and that's when um, I had to, you know, not had to, but I chose to, um, you know, you say, you know, oh, we will catch up soon. It was, I started using, you know, I want to catch up soon and you'd organize dates to see friends. So just investing my energy into other avenues because obviously the footy one had a barrier right now. Um, but that didn't mean I put a barrier on everything else because, you know, I was still, you can't go through life angry. So um, how did you dig yourself out of that angry hole? I didn't do it alone. Definitely didn't do it alone. I did it through the help of a psychologist um, through uni. Um, I was like, okay, now's the time to to focus down. It was coming to the end of a semester. Um, I was like, you know, I'm just going to invest myself into this. Um, started seeing friends more, um, you know, because I felt bad for making him drive all that way. But I... I kind of was selfish. I was like, no, come see me. Like, come sit on the couch where I know it'll be boring. But um, they were like, yeah, of course. Like, silly me. Of course they were going to be that. say that's fine. I just never wanted to be a burden on anyone and say, come sit with me. But they were more than happy to, and I should have just done that earlier. So it was through the help of a lot of people that I got myself out of it. And then, obviously, rehab starts to get easier because you start, you know, 
days don't go backwards. Everything's always going forward. And um, with your help, like, you know, the things started getting better and um, I started becoming more confident in my foot, started, you know, uni was going well. I had good friends around me. Um, so, yeah, everything just started getting better as, you know, time heals everything and that's what happened is just I had to get through that um, depressing, um, self-grieving stage before things got better and, yeah, probably the moment I could probably put a moment on when start, things started getting better and that was when I actually decided, you know, I'm going to actually speak out about how I feel right now. What did your injury process teach you about resilience? Because you obviously got back. You, I was there watching your first game. Like <laughs> you you it was freezing cold too, it was wasn't so it? was bloody cold. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I texted you, I was like, it was like 14 degrees, rainy. I don't watch football at the best of times. Like I wouldn't even go out on a sunny like 30 degree day and choose to but watch I'm here. But I, I rocked up in my beanie, my blanket, and I was like, I love you, Chloe, I'm going to come. So what did it teach you about resilience? Um, probably taught me that I guess I can kind of get through anything. It was another, it was a hurdle. It was a massive hurdle that life threw at me, but you know, I got over it and taught me that I can't just put all my eggs in one basket with, in being football. Um, you know, I kind of have to invest my energy into other avenues. Um, because uh, if, you know, if one thing's taken away from me, I need to be able to be able to bounce back or have something else to rely on not one source of happiness um, in football and, and have other sources of happiness that's going to, you know, not make me an angry person. Yes, okay, maybe footy's taken away from me, but I've, you know, I've got all these other avenues of happiness that's going to make me okay with what's happening um, to a certain degree. But um, it's, I'm going to get through it. And the resilience part is probably that, you know, life can throw you the hardest things um, at the worst times. Um, but, yeah, it, life tested me probably when I was at my most vulnerable um, and I'm here and I'm, I'm back playing and all those thoughts of me not being able to kick a footy are just in the distance. And, yeah, I don't think at the time I had those thoughts, but uh, um, if I was, you know, touch wood to get injured again, that, you know, I bounced back from that at a young age um, you know, it kind of just adds to my confidence in that, you know, I can do anything and get through anything because I do have such a good support network around me. Um, and it probably a lot of self-growth came from that as well and um, figuring out who I was, what made me happy, and in a way what didn't make me happy. Um, yeah, it taught me a lot about myself, that's for sure. And I think that's something I really liked what you said about sort of not putting all your eggs in one basket and diversifying your sources of happiness because I think that's something I'm a big believer in and I've said it on this podcast before it's half the reason I started this podcast because like a lot of what I did was work and like I loved what I did so I threw my like when I got this job at Upwell like I threw myself into it because I was loving it right yeah. but if that were taken away from me like I was Ash the physio and it's like if suddenly I couldn't do that what else would I be? Um, and I think that's something really important for, for anyone. I think that's why a lot of people end up in really deep, dark mental health traps. Obviously, like mental health, it's a bigger issue than than that. But certainly there's a, a lot to be said for not putting all your eggs in one basket so that if one of them's taken away, like being really confident in knowing where your other sources of happiness come from, whether that's friends, family, 
sport, whether that's, you know, hobbies or, you know, having something else that identifies you. Like, who are you if you're not your job? Who are you if you're not your kids? You're like, as a mum, like mums, I see it all the time because I work a lot in women's health. Like mums and mums, like that's their identity. It's like, who are you if something happens to your kids or who are you if you hurt yourself and you can't be the mum that you want to be? Who are you if you're not your sport? You know, like really sitting down and thinking like, exactly like you said, like you're Chloe Malloy, like, yes, you're a footballer, but you're also a friend, a daughter, like a fun loving gal that's pretty chill um, and super confident. (laughs) (laughs) Like knowing who you are at your core, that's not everything external to that. Yeah. You'll be a lot happier for it and you'll probably find that you – yeah, like ultimately you'll just be a happy person and you'll be a better version of your person. And, um, yeah, if I would like that's my biggest thing is that now I've got other avenues that make me happy, that bring out the best in me, and it's not just football um, because in, in reality football is probably, you know, a minor part of my life that will happen and, you know, maybe I'll be playing in 10 years, maybe I won't be. Um, but you know, I want to live till I'm like a hundred. So that's a 10th of my life. So yeah, I had to, I have to find other things that I can identify myself with. Um, because yeah, you know, who knows, who knows if I could, if I ever play another game of footy again, because yeah, you just never know when something might be taken away from you. And when it does just, I guess, have a backup plan. And it sounds rich coming from me because I didn't really have a backup plan when I gave up that college scholarship. Um, but again, that also taught me have a backup plan. And then it was just um, reassurance of, you know, let's have something else to fall back on when things don't go your way. Because life is crazy and you just have no idea when something could happen. You know, you you can't, you can't predict it. Um, like you just, yeah, it's crazy how life works and how life tests you um but yeah we we can do anything and and if you set yourself up for success and in finding ways to be happy then yeah we we get one shot at life um so i think we have to grab it with both hands and do whatever makes us happy i like it (laughs) i love it it's so good (laughs) it's so good and i yeah i just I'm such a big believer in that now and I had to learn that the hard way too from yep. when I hurt myself and, yeah. It's, I know, so all these people listening, yeah. we are just giving you advice. Don't, yeah, just like, don't learn the hard don't way. Don't be us. Yeah. Don't be us. Don't yeah. learn the hard way because, yeah, we hope that, you know, when those situations do happen to you and we are talking directly to you and we, we have advice that we've gone through um, and we don't – I wouldn't wish it upon my worst enemy. Yeah. I like to finish these episodes with five rapid fire questions. Oh no. Boom, boom, boom. Are Go. you ready? I am ready. <laughs> Number one, you're pretty admirable, but who do you admire the most? My mum. That's easy. Oh, that was, that was easy. an easy question. <laughs> My mum. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> no, that's good. And I probably could have guessed that, but I like so that. So could everyone else who just listened <laughs> to the podcast. <laughs> Number two, uh, what's, thing, what's one thing that grinds your gears? One thing that's grown my gears, oh, jealousy. Number three, describe yourself in three words. Laid back, and I count that as one, hyphen. 
Uh, Sorry, no one's like Khaleesi. It's only one word, okay? I'm half in you. Even if it's not half in, I'm half in you. Laid back, understanding, um, personable. Oh, nice. Nice Thank you. Number four, if you could be any animal, what would it be and why? A golden retriever. And why? Because they are so dopey (laughs) and they are adorable and you get, you would get so many pats. (laughs) That's why. (laughs) You'd get so much attention. (laughs) Everyone would want to pet me. (laughs) Number five, lucky last, if you could tell your younger self anything, what would it be? That is a good one. That is a rapid fire. So I'm like, oh my God, what would I tell myself? Um, do what makes you happy. And then I think I did that when I was younger, but I just, I reassure myself, just do what makes you happy. And I wish, I mean, I wish I knew that because I probably would still be playing football because that's what made me happy. Nice. I think that's a good place to end it. All done. All done. You made it. I made it through. <laughs> I didn't die. I'm still here. Ash didn't eat me. I'm still here. Survived all the talking about yourself. I know, I know. You did well. And I did well to deflect it as much as I could. <laughs> and I did well to make sure you didn't deflect didn't. as much as you could. <laughs> thank well, you, thank Ash. you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being such the genuine soul that you are. You are the highlight of my week every week. No, so. you are. No. For those who can't see me, I'm all embarrassed and like getting all I can't look. Like, I'm embarrassed. <laughs> She's like playing you with her hands on the table, like curling herself into a ball. I am embarrassed, guys. <laughs> no, you're you're such a little legend, and thank you. I'm so grateful to have you around. So well, thank you. It is reciprocated. All these thank happy you, feels. <laughs> all the happy feels. Peace Let's go get a smoothie, <laughs> please. In case you are not already following this legend of a human and her journey, you can find her on Instagram at Chloe Malloy. For some reason, she has an extra C at the start of her name, so I'll pop that in the show notes. And of course, you can find me on Instagram at Exceptionally Average Podcast. If you loved this chat, take a screenshot of your phone right now, share it on socials, tag Chloe, tag me. We'd love to hear about it. And of course, please don't forget to click follow or subscribe wherever it is that you're listening so that more legends like you can find more legends like Chloe. Have a great week, guys. I'll be back in your ears next week. See you then. Bye.